Welcome to In Search of a Cubby, the podcast. Hi, this is Marjorie Claproot. I am constantly in search of a cubby. My theory is you either have one or you don't. And to paraphrase the incomparable Robert Frost, that makes all the difference. Now here's your host, Margie Claproot. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome to In Search of a Cubby. I hope you stick with us and, and join us frequently while we figure out Who's got one, who doesn't? And if you don't have one, we'll help you find one. Short order. Today's guest is not just somebody special, extraordinary. You probably know him. And if you don't know him, you should. But he's also one of my best buddies. And I feel like I've known Jimmy Tingle since the beginning of time. You might know him as a comedian. You might know him as a candidate for lieutenant governor last time around. I know him as the incomparable Jimmy Tingle. Hey, James. Hey, Marjorie, great to see you today. Thanks so much for having me on the show, and congratulations to the success of... You're allowed. <laughs> You're allowed. Everybody goes, what is it? Is it a cubby? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the big cubby. Oh, great. I love having you on because this is sort of our launch month with this new In Search of a Cubby theme, which is very popular, yay, and but fun. And I had you in mind from the very beginning. You know our producer, David. Dave's with us. Hey, Hi, Dave. Dave. Great yeah. to see you again. I'm just happy to be uh, part of the show, Jimmy. And I'm taking things day by day. Anything I can do to help the ball club. Thanks. Thanks much. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, Jimmy, my gosh, how long have we known each other? I feel like I feel like I met you when I started off in politics, which was my late teens, early 20s. <laughs> you know, Marjorie, I think the first time I started to really become affiliated with the Marjorie Claproot Network was when you were at state, you were a state rep. Yeah. And you asked, and I used to, and you had the radio show and you and Pat Whitley. Pat Whitley. Whitley? Yeah. I loved that show. I loved that show. It was a yin and yang of local and national politics. It was great. And I would go on there and you guys were the best laughers. And I would just do monologues. And I was doing the show at the Hasty Pudding Theater at the time. This is 95. This is when I think we first met. And I was doing the one-man show at the Hasty Pudding Theater. And I would go on your show maybe every few weeks. It was so much fun. And it just sold so many tickets to the show, Marjorie. So anything I can ever do for you in search of your cubby, in search of my cubby, in search of a communal cubby for all of us, I am, I'm all in. All right. And vice versa. Dittos, dittos, Jimmy. I loved all of your shows. So I just wanted everybody to sort of go, oh, yeah, that was the guy. You used to come on the show and for folks to remember, at that time, talk radio was what podcasting is trying to become now i think talk radio was an opportunity for everybody to sort of no holds barred you know talk about what's going on in america and not just politics but and i've always believed that comedy is like the hugest contributor to good mental health <laughs> you know whether it's in a serious vein or whether it's just for entertainment to get away from work and I so between you and Steve Sweeney and Patty Ross and the Boston scene. Jimmy, let's talk about that for a second. And comedy is like epic, right? I mean, am I just being a... No, no, no. It's my backyard, but... No, no, no. You're on the money. I mean, I was on a show recently and it was from Wisconsin. And they were talking about the Boston comedy scene. It's known around the country. It's a very hot scene. A lot of really... I mean, Jay Leno... 
Conan O'Brien, Stephen yeah. Wright, Paula Poundstone, you know, on and on, Louis C.K., right. just a, a ton of people that were in. Brian Kiley, who's the head writer for Conan O'Brien until last week when Conan retired. You know, just on and on. Barry Cremens, of course, Barry the founder Cremens. of the Ding Ho. We just had a lot of people. Bobby Goldthwait. A lot of people. Crazy have Lenny Clark. Lenny um, Clark, of course, uh, have come out of here. And Steve Sweeney. Don Gavin. I mean, the list is like it just goes on and on. (laughs) And some claim to be Boston, they're not really. Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon likes to think he's from Boston. Does he really? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Because he's a big Sox fan. Okay. And you know, and his character on Saturday Night Live was right. Very Boston. Right. But the list goes on and on. And now that you mention it, we're actually doing a 40th reunion. Oh, right. The Ding Ho reunion. The Ding Ho is a Chinese restaurant in Nimmin Square that ran from 79 to 1984. It was founded by comedian Barry Cremens. And out of that little Chinese restaurant on a side street in Nimmin Square came Stephen Wright and Paula Poundstone, myself, Lenny Clark, Steve Sweeney, Don Gavin, just Bobby Goldthwait, on and on of these great comics who did really, really well. And, you know, there's another 50 or 100 of them that are not household names, but are making a living. But they're amazing. But they're great comedians, too. I mean, just great talent. And we're doing a 40th reunion July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of this month. To We're replaying the 40th anniversary to raise spirits, funds, and awareness especially funds for Barry's widow. Barry has passed on in 2018. R.I.P. Barry. And yeah. I'm sorry. And his widow, Helen, who, if you knew Barry, you knew Helen. Yeah. Uh, who was uh, very She's Ill. having a rough time of with her health. Time with the health. And uh, the comics, one thing about the Boston comedy scene is that they stick together and they're always doing benefits and trying to help wherever they can. And Marjorie, that's one of the places I first met you we did something for the Lynn Health Center back when oh Dennis Heenan was there. Do you remember this? This was in the early 90s. Who was there? I stepped on you. Dennis Heenan. I oh, think. yes, 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 yes. One of the directors or something there. Oh, my God. to meet him. Oh, no, John Tierney. John, oh, John Tierney. Tierney was our congressman. John Tierney. And it was the, the health, Lynn Health Center. Anyway, you had asked me back in the early, in the early days to come on and do a, a fundraiser for that. And we did. And so we've been doing them ever since. Oh my, you know what? I just should tell everybody who's listening, because this is the way life works even today, for sure, maybe even more today. If you're lucky enough to make a good friend of somebody who eventually starts developing a following, a name, whether it's in entertainment, politics, whatever, as a maybe a great chef, like my husband, Chris Benazola, as you know, one of those things you Ask them to help you raise money for your favorite charity, <laughs> knowing that for every hour you take of their time, they're going to come back to you sometime and say, will you come do my event now? So, and we all called them times. I'll do your time if you do my time. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so that's uh, one of the first things we did together is when we did that show, uh, you and I, and for the Lynn Neighborhood Health Center, or Lynn Healthcare, I forget the exact... Yeah, it was what would now be a community health center. They've all reorganized so many times, but the local community center um, that everybody could get healthcare at, regardless of your ability to pay, as we used to say then, regardless of your ability to pay. So that was so great. And so now it's the 40th anniversary just coming up. So I don't know when you're listening to this, guys, if it's 
you know, before July 1st, 2nd, or 3rd. See if you can find it. Are they going to, they could find the 40th reunion, the Ding Ho. Would they just go, is there a website, Jimmy, or? JimmyTingle.com. JimmyTingle.com. That's easy. It's on Zoom and you just buy a ticket there. It's $30 or pay what you can. Because yep. we don't want to turn anybody away. It's going to be a fun time. Oh, it'll be a great time. It'll be a lot of fun. So I've heard bits and pieces of it. Yes. Jumping in and out for when you guys were all recording. It was pretty, pretty amazing. So, so you know that this show is sort of centered on all the work that I've done, like you, in politics, local, national, or policy up on Beacon Hill or on Capitol Hill. Pretty much of taking care of those who need it the most, you know, and that always comes back to children. And so In Search of a Cubby is all centered around the notion of providing the very basic needs of a child and giving them a cubby, a little safe spot to be with. The kids who who travel from shelter to shelter with all their earthly belongings in a trash bag. And so if you want to, for those who are new to the cubby concept, at some point, stay with this podcast, but at some point, check out InSearchOfACubby.com, and there is the beginning of the novel, not the novel, I'm sorry, my book, the memoir, and you can get a sense of who inspired me on the cubby. But people like Jimmy, who are my buddies, understand that it's all about really taking care of one another with this idea of keeping you safe and keeping you intact, you know, and you say, who's got a cubby and who doesn't? You can almost... Jimmy, from knowing people, figure out they're well-centered. They've got, they had a cubby when they were a kid. Or th- this woman needs a cubby. She's never been loved. She's never been cared for. She's, you know. And the truth of the matter is, I hope it's a hopeful help to a lot of people listening because it's never too late to make your own cubby. You know, it's never too late. So, right. but you are, you have such a great history. You know, you're a local kid. You've had your ups, you've had your downs. Where do you want to start with how you got to this point where you were ballsy enough to say, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be a stand-up? Well, I'll I'll tell you, Marjorie, um, I don't remember a physical cubby, okay? Like you were saying in grammar school, you go to school and there's little cubbies for people. That was. That was a more recent development. I don't want to <laughs> dig myself, but we didn't have cubbies. You didn't have cubbies. That you... We had a hook you could hang your coat on, you know, so I had a hook. I didn't have a cubby. I had a hook. I'm going to wait, wait, wait. Promise me after the podcast, I'm going to write a chapter on if you don't have a cubby, do you have a hook? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just very lucky. I had two wonderful parents and just had a lot of love, a lot of love and support. And where'd you go to school, Jimmy? I went to Cambridge. I went to Longfellow Grammar School. It was in Cambridge. In Cambridge, yeah. Diagonally across the street from our house in Cambridge. And I went to Cambridge Latin High School, which was about a mile from the house. Wow. Walked to high school, walked to grammar school, walked to high school. I went to UMass Dartmouth down in. Oh, you're not that old because UMass Dartmouth wasn't terribly active for too long. Right. right, right. It used to be called Southeastern Massachusetts University. And oh, when I went there, it was called Southeastern Massachusetts University, SMU. SMU, and, right. We thought we were hot. We'd say right. SMU. Yeah, that's right. So I went there, and but always had, you know, my mother and father were good people. They worked. They were, they took us to mass. They told us, you know, taught us about religion and the fear of God get good grades you know <laughs> uh, try to get good grades whatever we got good we had good a uh, good you the class clown Jimmy 
Not really. I sometimes in some classes I was fourth grade. I was pretty funny. It depended on the fifth teacher. grade. You really sucked. You had nothing going on with your act. <laughs> yeah, I, big loser in the sixth. Yeah, we heard this in the fourth grade. You gotta have new stuff. Is your new stuff? Yeah, but no, pretty solid. You know, pretty generally speaking, pretty um stable house. And you know, my father was in the cab business. I think I told you that. He yeah. growing up. So we kind of had the work ethic and, and half Italian. I'm half Italian. My mother's all Italian. My father is English, Irish, Scottish, and Swedish. And he told oh. us we were part Indian as well. He's from North Carolina originally, Marjorie. Now, I don't want to get down if I'm really part Indian, okay? This is what he told us when we were kids. Because he okay. wanted to be proud that you had Native American in you. So yes. Yes. Nobody at that time would jump out of a bush and say, you know what? don't use it that's right but um but he was from north carolina originally and this is just one of the fun times we had we we had my dad's cab was the family car too so we went everywhere in the in the cab you know oh my god one time he took us hunting in the cab (laughs) i'll never forget it we're love to see the other hunters when you pull up with the yeah. little taxi thing on the top of your yeah, up, exactly. up the top of the car. Well, I thought we were going to the White Mountains. He brought us to Woburn. <laughs> so we're in my uncle's backyard. It's 5.30 in the morning. It's 1966. We got shotguns, you know, animals are looking, goofing on us. Raccoons are looking out of the trash. You know, somebody call a cab. And he's from North Carolina originally, Marjorie, okay? So the whole family, and this was one of the great things about family you talk about the cubby and the yeah and the emotion what made you feel comfy well or at least protected did you feel safe of course we felt safe we felt we would go to north carolina oh, for summer vacation in the cab okay get so out we, we would run the meter okay i'm not kidding you <laughs> i still owe him 900 dollars, but he would run the meter and it would be and you, of course, in the '60s, you get as far as Connecticut. That thing went up to ninety-nine, ninety-nine. Yeah. That's as far as it went. Nobody went past a uh, hundred dollars in a, a taxi cab ride. But anyway, oh we ride all the way to North Carolina in the cab back in the '60s, and it was a lot of fun. And wow. it was, you know, have you? Ever, I don't know if you spent much time down south, but it was a very traveling, place. visiting. Not too much time, like getting to know family or anything from. Well, we had family from down the south. There. Yeah, we had family down there, so we get down there and see our relatives. That's so cool. Yeah, and, and you still do you still? I'm just curious. We you still a, visit, yeah. We had a reunion two years ago. Yeah, we nice. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. It was a oh, lot that of is so yeah. cool. So, when did you get your first job? Tell me about the first job where somebody actually paid you to tell a joke. Oh boy, that was street performing. That was street performing. Oh, back in the '80s when I first got. I admit, Marjorie, there is a fine line between street performing and simply being drunk in public. I admit that. <laughs> but I, I, I was so into comedy. I was so into it. I would and go you were just kidding. Where, oh, when I first started, I was doing open mic nights, amateur nights. Oh, my God. Right. Lenny Common Square was a great place to be if you were a singer or a street musician performer. or a street performer. Exactly. A comedian. And I'd put my hat down and I'd do my jokes, you know, and I played harmonica and sang song that so It was kind of crazy. It was kind of blue, you know. But it was what it was for the time. So you make a little money like that. Yeah. I think the first couple of jobs I got was probably, you know, it was that. And I can't remember the exact first time I got paid. Maybe Don Gavin booked me. It might have been over at Nick's. 
Uh, oh, and Nick's comedy star. Yeah. It might have been over there in the early 80s. Might have been, wasn't the Ding Ho wasn't until later that I actually got paid. Stitches used to pay us. Stitches was a great Sam, club. Yeah. Played against Sam's, used to play, pay us. But yeah, it just worked the scene with the other hundred comics who were trying to make it in Boston. Political comedy, Jimmy? Because now you're known, uh, I would say, wouldn't you, that you're known for not only being hysterically funny, but through your career... And I'm happy to say, I'm sure there were downs, but you've had a series of continuous ups in your career. So, but was it always as political as it is now? It was not, but it was always topical. It was always somewhat relevant to what's going on in the world or with me personally, you know? Yeah. um, That's just how it worked out. And I didn't really think of myself as a political comic at all until... 1988, I was living in New York, and they were making an album. A&M Records was making an album. Back then, before the CDs, they were making albums, and they wanted to make an album on political humor, and they auditioned everybody in the city, all the comics in the city that were working, and the A&M chose me, Barry Cremins, Will Durst, and Randy Credico to make this album called Strange Bedfellows, and that was in 88. And the material is still relevant. So Barry and I were on the same album, and that was a lot of fun. That and is so cool. That, I kind of, you know, it was more what I paid attention to. And that's the sort of the direction that I went in. Political, but also using the work for purposes beyond just comedy. I always found very gratifying. I know you do the same thing. Yeah. I always did that as a state rep. You are doing so much. You always do so much for charity. And I did too, because I, I mean, and also because frankly... Well, when I was a kid, I had the blessing of a great, great family and a great mom and everybody. I always felt very comfortable, but we didn't have for a lot of different moments in and out, in and out. But for my grandmother's house, we wouldn't have any place to stay, you know. So so it was an opportunity for me once I actually started, you know, in quotes, making it and being able to, to do some stuff that is so gratifying to leave the ladder down. You know, to just yeah. know that you can help somebody and yeah. particularly kids. And you, and, you do that all the time. And I th- thank you, Marjorie. I know you do as well. And I, the other thing I'd say, the other dimension to it is religion. Growing up Catholic, it, it does instill in you a sense of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Of other people. I mean, that's what basically. Or a sense of guilt. A well, big sense of guilt. guilt if you're not helping somebody, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I mean, down and get Mrs. McGillicuddy's potatoes and bring them upstairs. Yeah. (laughs) You little shit, you're not doing enough. (laughs) (laughs) The Judeo Christian tradition requires us to try to help people, help love your neighbor as yourself. So I can be humble. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so I think that is, even if it's not necessarily. In your consciousness, I think it's in your subconscious. Yeah. And, and that, that's what I find with the comics. And and as Charlie Flaherty, former Speaker of the House, used to say, it's also the softest pillow at night if you do something good for somebody else. Oh, is that what he used to say? Yeah. He oh, probably good. still does say it. Charlie, Charlie was a great guy. Charlie could have been a comic, could have been a talk show, could have been you or me, uh, yeah. but he decided to stay in politics. I want to talk about, though, a real quick trip down memory lane you and i at about the same time had great opportunity at national tv for me it was at lifetime mm-hmm. and for reasons still unbeknownst to me or anyone else they offered me a talk show and for you 
it came along and you and I were big fans of 60 Minutes even before you got the call. But let's talk about when you first got that call from 60 Minutes and they said, hey, we're looking to fill this amazing spot. And it opened up for you. Right. What happened was I was pitching. Long story short, they didn't call me. I read in the paper in USA Today that 60 Minutes was doing another show called 60 Minutes 2. And they had all of their correspondents. They had Dan Rather. They had Mike Wallace. They had Ed, you know. Also from Brooklyn, by the way, Mike Wallace. And Morley Safer, I think. Is and Morley Safer, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. But anyway, they had their team. We'll they, claim them. Well, yeah, the only yeah. person they didn't have was the Andy Rooney commentator. God and bless Andy I Rooney. knew that I was could be really good for this. And I basically asked my management to send them the tape. And they eventually sent them the tape. And they loved the tape. And I went down and auditioned for it. It took about a couple of months of, you know, iteration. Back and forth, back and forth. Back and, forth and they saw a lot of different people. And I got the job. It's and amazing. I, I because Andy Rooney, I'm amazing. sure everybody listening now, unless you're, you know, under the age of 25, maybe. You know, Andy Rooney wasn't, always will be a great, great sort of a benchmark for amazing commentary. But for the local hook. He is Emily Rooney. If uh, Emily's still out there doing work for Channel Two, right? And and she's the was the host of WGBH Greater Boston. Right. That's her dad. That's right. her dad. So it was a nice thing to see a Boston connection. Then reach back out to you, Jimmy, and have you go and do that. That must have been a hoot and a holler. Oh, I forget how long you did it. Was it a couple of seasons or it was two seasons? The yeah. challenge was Marjorie writing for a national audience. Yeah on a weekly basis on topics that are going to appeal to everybody in the country. And it, they didn't want, you know, political advocacy of one direction. Yeah. Or they wanted things like what Andy Rooney did. You know, he did really original and insightful. Did you ever think? It yeah. wasn't about, right. It wasn't about, you know, the president. Or usually it wasn't about the president or the Congress or things like that. And, and if it was, it was so pointed or partisan. You know, certainly so, not like it is today. Yeah, no, no way. Not even close. When I was there. I the parameters of what it was journalism. It wasn't comedy. Yeah, so, yeah, it wasn't comedy. You could be clever. Yes, but you, you couldn't. But you couldn't do a one-liner or something. You just couldn't. You couldn't be advocating for single-payer health care. Right. Know? <laughs> you know. So what you know, a punchline. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I did a couple of seasons, forever grateful, wonderful opportunity, met some wonderful people, and I was able to just channel that into other areas of yeah. my career. But let me ask you this. Did you um, actually film in New York? We filmed all over the place. We filmed oh, in, so you go wherever. Uh, we filmed in New York. If we did in studio, we generally did it in New York. I filmed several segments up here in Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was and, curious because... Hearst at that time, Channel Five, Hearst was part of the network with Lifetime. And when I first started doing shows and bits for them, I would have to go to Manhattan. So that's where their their, their big studios were. But eventually, when we worked on a regular contract for me to have a regular show, we did it over at Channel Five in the Hearst uh, studios. There, they have the best studios, you know, yeah, in the world. They're great, you know, to do it local. So. And so now let's go fast forward now. So I was lucky enough. I'll just confess to our audience. My husband, Crispin, and I are just huge uh, 
Jimmy Tingle fans. Not just your, you know, your work and your comedy, but you. We love you and your fun anytime on or off the stage. But we got a chance to catch you a couple of times in your recent incarnation while you were running for lieutenant governor. Gosh, I thought you were going to win it. I should be, had been lieutenant governor, become governor and pass it on to you. That's how <laughs> I, if I were writing it, that's how it would have gone, right? But But I love your show now because it works all of that in and all of your clips from the big talk shows yeah you were on were you on every one of them i was on a lot of show yeah yeah tonight show with johnny that was a lot of fun yeah and just kept keep working you know how it is marjorie in this business you like you're doing the podcast now i wish you the best with it because it's just a new dimension in the business and it's a great medium and you can do your thing and it's there's no you know, there's no limitations on what you can say or what you can right. discuss, topics you want to address. So you get all that sort of freedom. And I feel the same way with the podcast. I've been on a lot of them. As a matter of fact, Joe Rogan just did a nice shout out to me and Barry Crimmins. Yeah, it's on my website at jimmydingle.com. He was oh, talking cool. about his first, his first political sensibilities. Where did they come from? And out of nowhere, he goes, you know, I ran Contra. That used to really get me because Reagan said he couldn't remember whether or not he sold guns to the Iranians. And there was this great comedian. This is what he says. He He was talking about you. And he goes, there was was this great comedian from Boston, Jimmy Tingle, who used to have a great bit about it. He goes, Mr. President, if you ever sell guns to people who take Americans hostage, jot it down. Make a little post-it it's note. It's good to remember it. these things. But that was great, Marjorie. But it, listen, oh, yeah. if you or any of your folks are ever looking for me, it's at jimmytingle.com. All my shows are there. Yeah. I would love You're coming to- down. I just want everybody listening. You really got to check out Jimmy's website because you're all over. For people who are in New England, especially in Massachusetts, I know you're coming back down here. Uh, to the Cape. So Chris and I are down here at the Cape almost all the time now and working out of our office here and doing a lot of clients in Boston, a lot of nonprofits, obviously. But this has been a rough, rough year for nonprofits. It's been a rough year for getting any events up and running because it was illegal. Nobody could get in a room. Nobody wanted to get in a room. Nobody should be in a room together. So it was great to see you before we all went into hibernation and yeah. now I'm looking forward to, you know, as we get back out there, getting to see you. I saw on your website, you're coming back to the Cape, right? You're going up to the North Shore. I'm going to Wellfleet the last week in July, 28th, 29th, 30th, and 31st yeah. uh, at the What Theater. And I'll be doing the latest show, Jim Tingle Live, No Mask. No and Mask. It'll be focusing on the pandemic and all the things that have been uncovered through the pandemic. And you have and to have a sense of humor, my God, right? No. And the last show, you'll get a kick out of this. The show that you saw at the yeah. Center for the Arts last year was 20, Jimmy Tingle's 2020 Vision. And that was about why would a comedian run for office? Right, it was so good. I did that show there. Then I did it at Sanders Theater, February 29th, 2020. The next week we went into lockdown. Wow. So I had this show that I recorded and you'll get a kick out of this. I had a show that I recorded with three cameras at Sanders Theater. And I said, well, I'm in lockdown. I can't do anything. I'm going to make a film. See if I can make a, a film. Oh, out good. Of it. Did I you? One hour, I made a one-hour comedy special, okay? Well, it's a documentary slash comedy special. But listen to this. So I have my managers out in L.A. And they pitch it. They pitch it to HBO, Showtime, 
Netflix, Comedy Central, Hulu, Hee Haw, Ha Ha, Ho Ho, uh, <laughs> and, and WGBH. Nobody wanted it. Nobody, Nobody wanted it, Marjorie. Okay? Nobody wanted it. I even pushed <laughs> the WGBH. Oh, my God. I said, WGBH? You passed on my show? Are you How could that be? I have a closet full of tote bags from WGBH. <laughs> I have been a supporter for 30 years at WGBH. You couldn't play my show. are telethons and you couldn't pick up my special. They should. You know what? They do specials. Forgive me. I hope GBH crowd is listening. Forgive me for being critical. But you have shows that only people in their late hundreds are going to remember their songs, their stuff, and they use it very brilliantly for fundraisers. Why, if you can do that, wouldn't you go with someone who's current and vibrant and totally adorable and speaks in polysyllables like GBHX, (laughs) right? Come on. You're a natural. I want you and David as my publicity. You're the publicity arm of the Tingle Empire. I'm in. in. David, are you in? I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, he's in. Oh, a blast wait. seeing you, Marjorie. Thank you. Wait, so wait, much. wait. I just want to play he's one gotta, thing for you. He's got oh, go, to go, Marge. He's, he oh, had yeah. a heart out that we, you you already missed. Sorry. Oh, he already said a heart out. Oh, okay. Blame the producer. You know what? We'll Sorry. have you back. JimmyTingle.com. Yeah. Check him out. I love you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Love you too, Marjorie. Wishing you all the best success with the show. I know it's going to be great. If you're involved in it, it's going to be great. And if you got David behind you, you are golden. We're done. All right. <laughs> thank you, honey. All righty. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye. And David, thank you so much too. The next time that we uh, we do a cast, I want to play a George Carlin stuff. That's the homework. Yeah, well, uh, this is the, you've been teasing it for several episodes now. I have been now. teasing it. So, I know what I told Jimmy like, I'd try and play it. It's because I talk too much. It, well, it's like, or too Jimmy, long. it's like Jimmy Kimmel saying he doesn't have time for Matt Damon tonight. So George, That's right. we George don't have Carlin time always for gets George bounced. Carlin. But next time, next time. <laughs> next time, yeah. next time. Thanks, guys. Check out uh, com. It's a work in progress. It's not quite finished. It's just a beginning, but it gives you a little sense of how you can find your central purpose in life. And you can do so by figuring out where your cubby came from. And if you don't have one, we'll help you find one. And I will just remind our listeners that you can find more information about this show at pod617.com. All the episodes are there and how to listen. But most importantly, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. Leave a comment, hopefully something nice. And we thank you for listening to In Search of a cubby.